Right, we are in a series right now about power prayer. Essentially, the message is pretty simple. Do you pray like Jesus? Do you pray like Jesus taught his disciples to pray? And those are, oh, excuse me, thank you, Pat. Youth, our awesome 6th to 12th graders. My apologies. We're going to run that back and start over. <laughs> Thank you, Pat. Pat is leading our youth today upstairs in the youth room. So if you are in 6th through 12th grade, you have the distinct pleasure of our current longest-running youth leader in Elevation Church history, Pat Rowe. Let's give it up for Pat. We love that guy. All right. I thought somebody was just getting excited real early in the message. They're standing up like, woo! It's like, hey, you're on it today, but you're receiving. That's good. He's like, no, get me out of here. We'll try again. <laughs> We're talking about prayer. It's been fascinating to me and to us to, to study this afresh. It's, it's, it's not a new idea, but it's just such a, so cool how you get into God's word and as the Holy Spirit reveals things. And one, I know one of Don's favorite passages is where the, the road to Emmaus, the disciples are talking and it says afterwards, they knew it was Jesus because their hearts were burning. And, and, and that's for today as well. <laughs> he, God wants us to encounter him so that our hearts are burning. And you can take a scripture that you've read a hundred times, but when the Spirit's on it, your heart's burning. And our hearts are burning afresh for the way Jesus teaches us to pray. In Matthew 6.10, it's a very famous part of the Lord's Prayer. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time reviewing. If, if you weren't with us the last few weeks, we did a, the glory of, glory of motherhood last week. But prior to that, two messages on making commands in prayer, which even itself, like, if, man, if Jesus wasn't teaching this clearly, that's weird language, to make commands in prayer. But quickly reviewing, the most central scripture in all of it is right smack in the middle of the Lord's Prayer where Jesus teaches us this, and we've done some deep work in the Greek to get this translation, which is very, very appropriate and accurate. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray like this. Arrive now, kingdom of yours. Come into being, will of yours. As it is in heaven, so also upon earth. Those verbs are in the imperative. Jesus teaches his disciples to make commands in prayer. And this is a direct response to Jesus' disciples coming to him and saying, Lord, teach us to pray. And so he is answering the question saying, among other things, this is how you pray. You make commands in prayer. You use the imperative. Arrive now, kingdom of yours. Come into being. Will of God. As it already is in heaven, 
so also on earth. You pray from heaven to earth. You get to know the heart of God, the will of God, the kingdom of God, as it already is in heaven, and you make a faith-filled declaration on earth. Jesus said something very similar in Matthew 21, 21 about mountain-moving prayer. It's the same idea. He says, even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. That's making commands in prayer. And the context of that is so beautiful. It's where Jesus makes a command, actually a curse, a negative command, to a fig tree. And the disciples are in awe of his power. They say, wow, Jesus, it actually worked. And Jesus says, oh, you're impressed with this? I say to you, I say to you, when you say to this mountain, be moved and have faith and do not doubt, it will be cast into the sea. That's what we've been looking at the last few weeks. It's astounding. Jesus is saying, don't be impressed with what I can do. God desires that you do this too. Not just a fig tree, a mountain. You're going to command the mountains in prayer. It's amazing. It's a growth process, though. That's where we've got to live under that umbrella of grace. This is a growth process. Jesus wants us to learn to pray like him. So as we're honing in on this, the question is, are you praying like Jesus? Are you praying like Jesus taught his disciples to pray? Because it's the same thing. Jesus taught his disciples to pray like he prays. And so in this way, though we are in awe of Jesus as our Lord and Savior and the Son of God incarnate on earth, his life, death, and resurrection, we could never repeat. We can't do it. But prayer, he says, I'm going to teach you to pray just like me and expect the same results. That's called a growth journey. (laughs) This kind of mountain-moving, miracle-working power prayer happens for one specific reason. Because Jesus has chosen, under the direction of the Father, he has chosen to give us his authority because of our identity as his beloved children and thus ambassadors on the earth. John 20, 21, Jesus says, the Father sent me, now I send you. Go make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything I've taught you. Now teaching, we have a Western misconception. That means give them the information. That is not what Jesus has in mind. Teaching in that culture means show them the way of life. So Jesus is saying, everything that I've shown you about the way of the life of the kingdom, show them. The life I've showed you, live it out. The way I've taught you to pray, pray like that. With the authority the Father gave me, I'm giving it to you. Go pray like me. It's not our idea. If it was, it would be hubris. This is Jesus' idea that he wants us to pray like him. It's amazing. It's awe-inspiring. But often it's so big and, and daunting that we just quit. When it doesn't work the first time or the second time or the tenth time, we get disappointed and we say, ah, eh, we'll let Jesus pray like Jesus. I'll pray just like a you know, broken, messed up human that I am. And that's where there's this challenge 
There's this gap sometimes. There's this frustration. There's disappointment. And what do we do? What we're going to look at this morning is Jesus shows us to just keep pressing in. Don't give up on praying like Jesus. That's our only model that we want to go after. Jesus said it like this in Acts 1.8 when he talks about this authority that he's going to give us. Now I'm fast forwarding because it's just a nice clear passage, but then we want to back up into the Gospels a little bit. Acts 1.8, the risen Jesus tells his disciples this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Sumeria and to the ends of the earth. So he is talking about that baptism of the Holy Spirit, where this is something new that humanity has never experienced. The baptism of the Holy Spirit coming, descending upon us, remaining on us with supernatural power so that, what's the purpose? We can be witnesses, Jesus' witnesses, his ambassadors, his representatives to our local context and to the very ends of the earth. Witnesses is, is a very important word. It simply is this idea that you are going as an ambassador of the one who sent you. You are a Christian, which means a little Christ. Jesus is sending out little Christs into the world to do what he did, to be like him to the ends of the earth by the power of the Spirit. So that is an authority that Jesus is choosing to give us. We didn't choose this. We didn't ask for this. It's not our idea. It's not even our, our choice to make it happen. It's ultimately God's sovereign plan that he would give us an authority of the Holy Spirit in us. And it comes right out of our identity. As his beloved kids, he has chosen us to be his ambassadors. And he will fill us with his power to make it happen. Let's back up a little bit here and just kind of see this post-resurrection, or excuse me, pre-resurrection, pre-Holy Spirit falling at Pentecost. You can see the journey that the disciples have been on, and I think it's a perfect example for us. Jesus has chosen to give us his authority. We have to think about that. Why do we have the boldness or confidence or, or gall, audacity, or even, you know, to try to grow into praying like Jesus? It seems, is that like territory we should just not even try to touch? Just leave that for Jesus. That seems to make sense except for the fact that it goes against everything Jesus taught. If we just think, oh, son of God, we can't. This is not about being the son of God. For us, this is about living in the power of the Holy Spirit that he gives to us so we can be representatives of him as his beloved children on earth. It's his idea, and look what he does. In verse 1, chapter 9 of Luke, he called together the 12. Here, Listen, this is a precursor for the, the Pentecost. It's, it's the same thing, but listen. He called the 12 together, and he gave them power, and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. 
And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, and do not have two tunics. Whatever, you, whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. Wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And lo and behold, it worked. <laughs> Verse six, and they departed and they went through the villages preaching the good news and healing everywhere. The very simple but crucial thing to see is this is Jesus' choice to give them his authority. And he's made the same choice for you and for me. That's what we see in Acts 8, where he says, wait, you will receive power from on high. And that promise that was fulfilled to the early church is the same promise that he wants to fulfill in each and every single one of our lives as followers so we can be his ambassadors to the ends of the earth. The goal hasn't changed. The Great Commission has not stopped. Our only hope for the Great Commission is for that promise to be fulfilled, that we're, fulfilled, that we're filled with the power from on high. Because if we're trying to do it on our own strength against the power of hell, you may as well stay at home. So don't even start to go thinking, well, they did that for the early church needed that power. Oh, yeah, because hell fights differently now. It's literally the dumbest argument ever. How do you really feel? It's Jesus' choice. He gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And it worked. One more to further demonstrate his choice to give his power and authority to disciples is a parallel passage in Matthew 9. Watch how he gives his disciples his authority to do what he does. Now, on our own strength, can we do what he does? No, not even close. That's a joke. But if it's Jesus's design, his choice to give us his authority to do what he does, then there is all the permission in the world you need to press into that and say that as my identity, part of my inheritance, as my identity as a beloved child of God, this is mine. One quick sec, yeah. Then it's all you. Oh, yeah, go. I just want to add one thing in um, regard to that, that it's also a command. So if we don't do that, we're living in disobedience. It's not actually optional as a believer. That's a good word. <laughs> I was being nice about it. <laughs> it is a command. So here we go. This is the imperative Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. This is, uh, excuse me, Matthew 9, 35. Watch the parallel between what Jesus does in his life and then what he chooses to give his disciples the authority to do and commands them to do, which is 100% accurate, great observation. Matthew 9, 35. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Oh, man, that's tempting to stop there and talk for a while. Every disease and every affliction. 
I'm going to show some, some deep self-control. No. And you, you no. are too. No, that is not the message for today. Okay. Healing every disease and every afflictions except the ones that God gave as gifts so that you could suffer and get better from in your character. Oh, that's not in the Bible. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Okay, here it is. So what did he do when he saw the crowds were harassed? What did he say? Well, man, I just have a lot more work to do. Then he said to his disciples, look, the harvest is plentiful, but it's the laborers who are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest field. And what does he do next? He sends them out. Here it is. He called, them to, he called the 12 to himself, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal, this is you and me now, every disease and every affliction and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons freely. You have received, so freely give. Wow. Jesus chooses to give his disciples his authority to do what he does. I mean, the language couldn't be more clear. It's easy. He's preaching the gospel. He has authority over every disease, every affliction, and he sees a bunch of people who are harassed and helpless, and he doesn't say, man, I just need to do a lot more work. He says, disciples, come here. I'm giving you my authority to go preach the gospel and have authority over every disease and every affliction. Go do it. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The mission has not changed. You ready? What are you I could go into that a little. That's, yeah, I want you to do your thing. You want after? I feel like now. Okay. <laughs> Pass it back whenever you're ready. Yeah. So... As we had been practicing living this out, um, I feel like there's a renewal of the mind that God wants us to embrace and pursue daily because this way of praying really flies in the face of the way that we've been taught to pray in the American church. And um, if you need some backup on that, or especially if you didn't hear the messages, I really encourage you to go and listen to the first two messages because the commands are how it's done in the New Testament and how Jesus teaches us to pray. Now, the Psalms and all over the scriptures are filled with different kinds of prayers because in prayer, we are meant to express our full heart to God. But when we are wanting to partner with him to see his kingdom come, 
he lays out the framework very clearly. And we went over that in all the last messages. Command. Command. Um, you know, in the translation, as Casey went over so thoroughly in the Greek is, arrive now, kingdom of yours. Come into being, will of yours. As it is in heaven, so also upon earth. And that's so amazing that, you know, that's how we have faith and believe that we have something before we see it on earth because it's already done in heaven. We're calling down that reality that we are seated in heavenly places, that he has already purchased it for us. And as it is in heaven, so also on earth, come into being will of my God. Um, so as I had been contemplating all of this and really just meditating on it and really practicing making commands, because in a sense, even though I did it sometimes, doing it all the time was foreign. You know, as I'm praying over myself for my physical being, you know, it, or for my physical healing, it's, it's um, practice for me. You know, now before I go to eat, it's, um, you know, I put my hands on my belly and I'm just shouting out, be healed in the name of Jesus. I am healed in the name of Jesus. And I just, I'm practicing commands in a new way and at a new level. And all of a sudden, I, I don't know what it was. Um, sometimes when the Holy Spirit leads you, you can, when he's about to push you and move you in a different direction, you sometimes feel an emptiness or almost like a vacuousness. I know we've felt that before in the past when God is trying to push us into a new direction. It's like all of a sudden you just feel this grasping of, huh, something's missing, Lord. What's missing? So I'm making these commands, and I felt like they, for some reason, were feeling a little empty. And I felt like he brought me back to the Lord's prayer in how it begins. Now, Jesus is speaking to the disciples, so um, his words are in plural, but we can personalize it. So it says, Our Father, hallowed be your name. That's the foundation, and that's the premise. Every time we are coming to bring the kingdom and make commands, it is always from a place of intimacy, identity in being his child, and worship. Our Father, hallowed be your name. For me, there's, a, there's two words that embody that for me so easily and just are naturally, um, I don't know, just, just really kind of get that whole meaning into one. And I very frequently, I just worship God over, you know, whatever it is, whether it's situation, a specific situation, whether it's a healing that I'm about to, you know, pray for. I say, thank you, Daddy, because there's two things really quickly and easily in there. He's my Daddy, and thank you. I'm just worshiping him. He's the king. He's the ruler. He's number one. He has authority all of all, at, over all of this. The impossible is possible in the name of Jesus. So as it is in heaven, so also on earth. Thank you, Daddy. You're my Daddy. I am your child. I 
am an heir. I was commanded to bring your kingdom. And, it, and, it's, and I'm not a soldier. I'm a daughter. And I'm a warrior. And I'm a soldier. And I'm going to fight like heaven. But I'm filled with... <laughs> but I'm filled with his um, presence and with his love. And so I want to encourage us to always keep that in mind because going about learning how to live this out, um, pursuing the revelation of making these commands and practicing, because practicing is so important, you know, Um, when Jesus called Peter to walk out on the water, he had never walked out on water before. And he started to sink. And there's a learning curve, and so there's grace for the journey. Um, So I just, you know what, I think, yeah, I think that'd be good. That's what I was feeling too. Um, So we, (laughs) we, um, we just want to have grace for the process and if we pray and we don't see all of it, all of heaven come and manifest and, you know, just absolutely take over all of earth, it's super important just to continue in that childlike posture in not making agreements with the enemy that it's God's will, but in believing that there is, just as the fig tree roots weren't visible when Jesus, you know, curse the fig tree, but the next day you could see it. And just as, you know, when we went over that prayer from Daniel 10, when Daniel had been praying for 21 days, and he was not aware, and he couldn't see that there were angels sent on his behalf doing warfare. So we just, as we continue to make those commands, even when we don't see the fullness of heaven manifest all the time, we continue in our agreements and it doesn't change. We're going to get more into that here uh, in, a, in a minute. But I want to back up to this just quick little point on uh, what Don was bringing, I thought was a perfect revelation and compliment to the idea that our authority comes from our identity. That's such an important reality to soak in. And this was very cool. I believe the Holy Spirit was working and confirming because I had uh, a few weeks back spent a, a, a big chunk of time with the Lord and, and felt like he kind of like kind of gave the outline and structure for these three or four messages we're doing on this praying like Jesus. Um, and I knew uh, this week was going to be this idea that our authority comes from our identity. And so what was really neat is that when I went to Dawn and I said, actually, no, she just came to me. She said, I've I've been praying about the message, and I feel like God led me to the beginning of the Lord's Prayer and the emphasis on when we're putting into practice this Matthew 6.10, which is this authoritative command in prayer, right? This imperative. We're taking this authoritative position in prayer of commanding, as it is in heaven, so also on earth, and she said, I feel like the Lord took me back to the beginning of the Lord's prayer, that that's where it begins. That it's as 
a child, a daughter of God, a son of God, a child of God, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, from that place of identity and worship, that's where authority comes from. So it was, it was very cool because she essentially came to me and said, here's what God's saying to me, and it's, it's the perfect tie-in of Scripture. From Matthew 6.10, making commands, that's authoritative, but right there in the Lord's Prayer, that authority comes from our identity. He starts, Jesus starts with identity. And that was radical. To come to God as, this, as our Father, this childlike posture, this tender love and acceptance as a, as a, as a heavenly Father who takes care of you. And Jesus beats that drum so often. He's trying to rewrite, repaint the canvas in people's minds of who God is. Or he even compares, you know, our worth to the lilies of the field and the sparrows of the air that are even sold for two pennies, yet God even knows when one falls to the ground. And what does he say? How much more valuable are you than they? And your heavenly Father knows what you need. Before you ask, so trust, he's going to take care of you. Those are, those are incredible conceptions, pictures, images of who God is. So it's the same thing in one little nutshell, our Father. He's saying it starts, prayer starts with just basking in your identity in God. That's called grace, the freely given. Freely given, ring a bell? Freely given identity. And then what does Jesus say to the disciples? Freely, freely you have received, it's been given to you, now freely give it away. Basking in our identity. And so that, it resonated so deep with me. One, it was really cool because it just felt like the Holy Spirit was confirming when he says the exact same thing and we're not in the same room. <laughs> it's like, hey, this is what the message is about. It's like, amen. That's, that's a good confirmation. But when I start talking about commands, making commands in prayer, we got to be real careful that we don't start trying to work it, make it happen. It's going to happen if you say the prayer in a really loud voice and scare the devil. It's going to happen when you're basking in your identity. Your identity and worship. Then your soul's at that proper place because you know who you are, you know whose you are, you know you, you're, that's with, that, that raises your faith level. Because when you bask in your identity and you worship, you are practicing the reality that you're seated in heaven where it's all already done. And when you're practicing being seated there, then you can pray from there. As it already is in heaven, so also on earth. So I thought that was a really, really neat connection. One little story from just this week, which was a fun one, and God does these things all the time, but talking about how he gives us his authority and it worked. I was in this room last week and we were having a, a city meeting in here and, and there was a woman who came in and uh, talked to me beforehand and she just let me know. She's like, hey, I got to leave early. Uh, I have a doctor's appointment uh, for my neck. Uh, it's doing awful. I'm in such chronic pain. I can't sleep. I can't even move my neck left or right. And I just have given up. I need to go to the doctor and and, and get this taken care of. It's, you know, un, unsustainable. 
And, and you know, she's an elderly woman, and so part of that, you might just be like, oh, well, it just, it just comes with the age and the territory. It's going to happen to you, you know. Take some pain meds. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's the American way. <laughs> and agreeing with the devil. So as she sat down, when she got up to leave early, I was just like, come on, man. Just, there it is. So I walked out, left the meeting, and I just said, and, and this, this person, she's not, a, she's from everything I know and can tell and have talked to her and what she shared, she's not a Christian. And, and I just went up to her and I said, Would, I heard about, you know, what you said. It just, my heart goes out to you. That's, that's, and I don't, you know, and, and can I just pray for you and your neck? So this super simple little prayer, and can I lay my hand on your shoulder? Yeah, I just pray for her, and, and nothing crazy happened in that moment. Just a little step of faith. I've seen God do things like that before. I've seen God do bigger things and smaller things. So there's a certain level of faith where I'm like, yeah, I think God's going to take care of this right now. So I go pray. And, and after the prayer, she just, thank you so much. That's so kind. I got to get to my appointment. So she goes to the doctor's appointment and just go, you know, go on without the day, with, about the day. And I get an email a couple days later and never got an email before from her in my life. And, and, and she has this, you know, big heading that's, that's something cool about, like, you know, thanks for the prayer, neck healed. And open it up, and there's the, the specifics of it that she went to the doctor that day, and he confirmed, I don't know what the name of it was or whatever, but she has some significant issue, and he prescribed some very, you know, high-level narcotic pain medicine and a rehab, a, you know, a rehab process for a number of weeks. And she said, but she woke up. It was getting better throughout the day, and by the time she woke up the next day, it was completely gone like it never happened, and her quote was, she was like, no meds for me, no rehab, exclamation point. And it was just this, like, very cool, to God be the glory. And it was just one of those that's like, I know, like, I have no authority to make that happen, but I've been commanded... <laughs> And invited, as she walked up, Jesus is like, get up, fool. You know, like, wow. No, just get up, go off her. The worst that can happen, she can say no. Yeah, Get up, my beloved son who has authority from heaven. And you know, it worked. And there's many things like that. And it's just, it's normal. Like I had a fun conversation with Khalid after last time he was here where he was, he was you know, it, so excited and encouraged about how God had lined up our hearts on some specific things, even in some prophetic words and some themes. And it was just a really fun conversation on how it was clearly the Holy Spirit speaking, which is just a crazy idea that the God of the universe wants to be present, personal, and powerful with you. That's, that is a miracle. That right there is a miracle in itself that Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. I call them by name. So anytime you hear the word of God, the voice of God, that's a miracle. And, and so we were, we were extolling God, exalting God for it, and yet at the same time saying, but isn't that cool how that's normal? Not in, not in a denigrating way at all. Not in a denigrating way saying, or in a devaluing way saying, you know, we, that big deal. No, it's like, that's so awesome. Our Father. our Father speaks to us. But he's our Father, and it's just normal. It's the way of life that he wants for his kids. Or you can think about these treasure hunts that we've been going on with the church family and just how it's like every single time, every time people take risks and, and step out in faith, 
a miracle happens in some fashion, whether last time there was a wrist that was healed on the spot of an unbelieving youth out in the city, and bam, the Holy Spirit touches him right there, and he feels the pain go in his wrist. Or how we're, we're having little kids with us, like 10 years and under. There were like 20 people last time, and it was so awesome. It's like there's age from like seven to like in their 60s. This is so cool. And there's no junior Holy Spirit. He speaks the same to each of them. And that's a miracle. Like two times ago, I may have told the story, but so let me be brief. Brief. I was blown away how we had in one little group, we had an adult get the words hearing aid, pizza, and ice cream. And okay, those three words. And then we get a little kid, 10 years old, that gets the directions of left, right, left. And I'm like, oh, that's a little bit of nonsense. <laughs> you know, me of big faith. And so we get in the car with this adult, this little kid, a couple others, and I'm like, all right, little kid, left, right, left. Where? Where do we start that? Is that outside the building? Is it there? Like, where are we going? So I'm like, you are our GPS right now. You tell us when to start. And so, and this kid doesn't know anything about, you know, pizza, hearing aids, and, and ice cream. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm kind of like blind here, driving the car, like, left, right, left. You tell us. He goes, left here, right here, left here. We park the car. He says, stop. We get out, and we're literally in front of three stores in a row. It's the hearing aid store, Domino's Pizza, and Yojo you know, coffee and, and ice cream. That's a miracle because the Holy Spirit of the God of the universe is breaking in with his authority and talking to his children. And, and Jesus' idea is that's just supposed to be normal because it's his idea, not ours. It's his authority to do what he does. So that's just good news. It's fun. It's good to be God's kid, Right? And now let's get to the, the, the challenge. What happens when you make commands in prayer and you tell mountains to move and they don't? That's very disappointing, right? That can be disheartening. It can be. That might be something I might call like an authority gap or a, a power gap. You believe Jesus gave you the authority. He told you, he invited you, he commanded you to go out, to what does he say? De proclaim, Jesus says in Matthew 10. Proclaim. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse lepers. Cast out demons. You command those things. That's the authority he's given you. And yet sometimes there's this like power gap where you do declare, proclaim, speak to the mountains, tell them to move. You make commands and it doesn't happen. So what do we do? Well, thankfully, there is a example of the disciples with a power gap or an authority gap in the same exact chapter and this is what I love Luke chapter 9 has both the example of Jesus giving them the authority and and the power to do miracles and then they declare something with the authority and and, and the power doesn't manifest which I take as an encouragement so let's see what happens here. In Luke, remember, Luke 9, 1, Jesus, it says that Jesus called together the 12, gave them power and authority, listen to this, gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out. Okay, that's very important language. He gave them power and authority, and it even specifies over all demons. So keep that language in mind. 
because not a chapter later, verse 37, the next day when the crowd came down, or Jesus came down from the mountain, so his disciples are out doing the stuff that he told them to do, a great crowd met him, and behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he's my only child. Behold, a spirit seizes him. That's a demon, in other words. A demon seizes him, and suddenly he cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. Here we go, verse 40. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Reconcile that for me. In verse one of this chapter, Jesus, it says directly, gave them both power and authority over all demons. And they go out and they have some great successes. And then they get a dad coming up to Jesus saying, help me, because your disciples could not cast out this demon. So they have the power and authority from Jesus, but they can't do it. What is the reason for that power gap? What is the reason? Well, thankfully, Jesus gives one of the clearest, most direct answers in Scripture. Most people fill in this gap right here, where there's that tension, because we've all had it, and sooner or later, you're going to experience that. Sooner or later, you can go out in the power and authority that Jesus gives you. You take a risk in faith, you command something, and it doesn't immediately manifest. And you are faced with a question, what just happened? Most people fill in the blank with a defeated lack of faith that says, I guess it's not God's will. Let's see what Jesus said in this situation. Back to Mark 9, 37 or 40. I begged your disciples to cast it out and they could not. And Jesus answered, it's because it wasn't God's will. Just so you know, he never says that to anyone ever in regards to anything about physical healing, demons being cast out, sickness, disease, provision, never. Never once. So maybe it shouldn't be the center of our theology when the gap happens. And the thorn in the flesh of Paul was definitely not a disease. It was the persecution of his own people, which we've gone into before. But what does Jesus say? Here we go, verse 40, in the answer to what happened, they could not cast it out. Jesus answered, O oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed, but Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father, and all were astonished at the majesty of God. There is a gap between the disciples' authority and their current experience of power. And what is it? Well, Jesus shares a little bit here when he says, oh, faithless generation, and he rebukes them. He's rebuking his disciples. He's not rebuking the Father. The Father's coming in faith, saying, hey, I know you can do it. I don't know what these guys are up to, <laughs> but I know you can do it. 
He's coming in faith. Jesus is frustrated with his own disciples, and here we go. Like a good father, if you're frustrated with your children, it's because you know they have the ability. A good parent is frustrated, not if they can't do it. That's bad parenting. A good parent is frustrated at kids when you know they can do it and they're living far below their potential. Jesus is frustrated with his kids at this moment. And he goes on in the exact parallel passage in Matthew 17 to give us one of the most clear answers in scripture to this question. Matthew 17, 19, it's the same exact situation. The disciples came to him privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus answered very clearly, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have the faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible to you. Is that a clear answer? <laughs> it makes us uncomfortable. But Jesus gives a very clear answer to the authority and power gap. And here's where the grace comes in. You translate it like this. You have more growing to do, and that's okay. Yeah, he might be frustrated with them at the moment because they've seen so much by that point. He is expecting more from them. But the point is that they are on a faith journey of growing in their faith in what God's nature is, what God's will is, the authority that Jesus has given them to demonstrate the kingdom of God as it already is in heaven on earth. And so he's frustrated, saying, guys, we've already been here before. But what's the point for us? They have more growing in faith to do. So if you want to do the things that Jesus did, you've got some growing to do. And that's okay. That's where we want to land on this, is that if you haven't experienced something miraculous yet, or you've experienced miracles in some measure, but not maybe in these greater measures, that is not due to God's will not wanting to do the greater things. It has much more to do with, are you continuing to press in and persevere in your journey of getting to know the heart and character and nature of God as his beloved son and daughter so that your confidence grows, your faith grows, that ha, my daddy's going to do this because that's who he is. I mean, we, this is a good, this is a challenge because to not expect miracles in prayer is to ignore the Bible. We just got to be real with that. To not expect miracles in prayer is to ignore the very clear words of Jesus. So are you expecting miracles when you pray? Or are you ignoring the words of Jesus? I know that sounds challenging, but I can't see us interpreting the Bible any other way. Jesus really, really, really clearly says, this authority that I have, I'm giving to you. It's our inheritance. It's our birthright. He wants his kids to carry on his kingdom. He's sending us out the same way the Father sent him. So in, in a way, when we ask that question, am I praying like Jesus? Am I expecting miracles? 
I think there's a nuance to it that's really important. Something like this. Here's the best I can come up with. Maybe you can come up with something better. It's in your lift notes there. But I think uh, uh, my best possible answer is, yes, I'm expecting miracles in prayer. And yet, I recognize that I'm on a journey of growing in faith. And I might not be there all the way yet, but I don't give up. When it doesn't happen, I just keep pressing on and pressing in. That it is the will of my Father to see as it already is in heaven, so also on earth. And when that doesn't manifest, I don't give up and change my idea about God's will. Because now I'm way outside of the teaching of Jesus. I just humble myself and say, hey, I'm just a kid on a journey. And maybe I've got a lot more to go, but that's okay. I'm just a child of God on a journey. And maybe I've got a lot more to go, but that's okay. That's where I'm covered by grace. And it's not about performance. I've done everything I need (laughs) to be perfect in God's eyes, and that is cast all my trust on Jesus' perfection. So I'm already a winner in every important possible way for all of eternity. So I'm free to have courage, to learn, to grow, to recognize I may not be there yet, but I am called and commanded to press in and not give up. So this verse is both Matthew 17 and Mark 9, um, right, Mark 9, and um, the part that we didn't go over today, which we have gone over a number of times in the past, but I feel like it's important to highlight because it so uh, clearly points us to the beginning and the foundation of the Lord's prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So Jesus also says, um, not only does he rebuke them for their faithlessness, but he also says, this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. And as we've talked about before, Jesus neither prays nor fasts in that moment. What he was referring to is a lifestyle of intimacy with the Father and growing in that. So he was encouraging them to continue growing, to press in, to stay connected, to be that, um, to stay connected to the vine, to abide, and to really connect so that we're overflowing with intimacy. And so I feel like that, um, that in itself speaks so strongly to that intimacy. Our Father, you know, personalize that. He was speaking to the disciples, so that's why that's in plural. My father, my daddy, daddy, who is in heaven, I praise your name. The foundation that unlocks heaven is not only praise and worship, because he is enthroned on the praises of his people, but it's acknowledging the healthy identity. It's acknowledging and grabbing hold of, I am his child. I am his heir. And if you are an heir, when you go out, you have the authority to bring the king's kingdom, who is also your father. And how much more when you are his daughter, you are his son. How much more 
does that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead flow through your veins. You're not just a soldier. He's your daddy. So it is so critically important. It's, like, it's almost like the most important vitamins and nutrients that you can take to arrive to this place and to, in, to get you there on this journey or to take those vitamins, our father, my father, my father, my daddy, my daddy, and worship. Thank you that you are bigger than this. Thank you that it's done in heaven. It's declaring what is in heaven. It's worshiping him for it. Did you want to add something? I think we're good. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, I actually had a couple words that I felt like God gave me last night. So I wanted to um, release a few words that I felt like God gave me last night. Um, just in, ooh, you can hold that. What it looks like to uh, practically live this out. And a few um, very scriptural and um, easy applications. So I actually saw um, a huge angel. And I felt like there were angels, again, lining this room. And I saw a huge angel, and I saw um, duct tape coming off a mouth, like representative of like coming off all of our mouths. Um, and I felt, um, I felt like the duct tape was speak, the command to speak, the command to declare, the command to come in line with what his will is in heaven. Um, another actually thing that I want to add that I didn't mention before, um, back to the Lord's Prayer, and this is actually super important. So when Casey translated that from the Greek, arrive now, kingdom of yours, come into being, will of yours, as it is in heaven, so also upon earth. So it says, arrive now, kingdom of yours. Yours, who, what's yours referring to in this passage? Our Father. Father, kingdom of yours. And I feel like that is that puts teeth in it kingdom of yours. It's not just, you know, God from a distance, kingdom of yours. Daddy, let your kingdom come. Um, okay, so duct tape coming off the mouth was the image, and then I actually, I saw like an angel and a burning coal put over the mouth, and I felt like there was fire on the words speak and command. And that it may feel unnatural at first, but we have the holy fire of God and an anointing that will follow suit as we step out in faith, whether it feels awkward or not when you first step on the water. The fire of God will fall as we step out in faith and as we continue to step out in faith. And then I saw an angel throwing a bomb, <laughs> and it was a joy bomb. And then I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and I heard the word uh, laughter, and I felt like God was saying, 
Laughter is a weapon. When we laugh, we are all at once worshiping him that his will is being done. We are seeing heaven. We are seeing what is in heaven. We are seeing what he is saying, what he is declaring, what he is telling us to agree with so that it manifests. And when we laugh, we are standing in agreement with that and that the enemy is abolished and under our feet that he was defeated, that he is defeated, that he is disarmed, as Colossians says. So now if you remember the verses about the angels, and I highly encourage you to listen to those other messages and specifically this one. Now the verse, um, they are, let's see here, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? They are ministering, ministering spirits sent out for the sake of the saints to bring God's kingdom to earth, right? And so there, and then there's also um, Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Oh, bless the Lord, oh, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. So, um, and then it says, bless the Lord, all you his hosts, his ministers who do his will. So we went into a whole lot of verses laying the foundation that, you know, this is not some weird idea that's not biblical. The angels are the armies of God on earth. He has dispatched them to come on our behalf to bring the kingdom of God. So Altogether, we, we are his special forces. We are his army. And so when I saw this joy bomb, I felt like the Lord was saying, this is what happens when you laugh. And I want to encourage you to laugh together. When you're getting together to pray and to intercede, laugh. Laugh. As an act of worship, laugh picturing what is in heaven, what the will of God is, laugh, saying, thank you, daddy. And I saw this angel releasing a joy bomb and the bomb just obliterated all the demonic that was around the situation that was being laughed at. So laughter is so powerful. Laughter is a powerful form of faith. It's taking it to a new level. It's taking to an emotional real level. And even if it's not real at first, just start laughing. Just like when you don't feel it at first, when you just start declaring, and then all of a sudden you feel the fire of God fall. Um, so just step out in faith. And then, um, so worship, singing, dancing, laughter, they're all in our arsenal, right? Um, and the other thing is the testimony. The testimony remembering what he did and saying it out loud. And I'm actually going to go to a quick verse on that that I felt like the Lord highlighted to me. I got it. Thank you. Okay. So this is in Revelation 12, and um, this is... Um, when they say they have conquered him, him is the devil, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, by the blood and of the word of their testimony. So there is a power 
of the testimony. And now listen to this. I love this next part because it ties together what we were talking about, the angel armies of God and how when we speak the words of God, the deeds of God, the ways of God, the wonders of God, how they hearken to the voice of his word. They are activated to do his will as we declare those things, okay? So this is awesome. Revelation 19.10. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. So this is an angel. John is seeing an angel. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus, worship God. This next verse. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This is an angel. The angel just said, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. He just said, when you release the testimony of what Jesus has done, it is a spirit of prophecy the spirit, the word spirit there means life-giving force. Animation meaning it is what gives life to the prophecy, which means foretelling that God is doing it again. You're saying that testimony is going to happen again. Now, the part that I love here that I never saw before, the angel is saying, this. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The angel who is deployed from heaven by God on earth is saying, hey, let me tell you how this works. When you release the testimony, our armies are released to make that happen. As you partner with the will of God, which is to do it again, because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, I know what happens because I live in the spirit realm and I am activated. Instead of just sitting there by faith, by being, when people are faithless and their mouths are shut, they are activated, like Psalm 102 says, by the word of God by us sharing what God has done. And so I thought that was really amazing, you know, just as God is painting this new picture for us of what it means to pray and also a worldview that the angels were his idea that they existed before we even did and that we are not alone, that this is kingdom warfare, we are sons and daughters, and they are his army. And so our words, when we speak out, not only do our words, you know, there is a lot that we're going to go into in the future on words, but our words literally create. Just as the Spirit of God was hovered over the waters, and then the Lord spoke and creation happened, as the Father sent Jesus, so he is sending you. And when Jesus spoke, creation happened. New limbs, leprosy leaving, diseases leaving. So we'll leave it at that. There's uh, much more for future messages. But
but this is all incredibly exciting, and I want to encourage us all not to leave this message here and then just pick up next week, but to really press in like Ephesians 1 talks about for a spirit of revelation because this is a new way of life. This is an upside down way of life from the way that we've been living on earth, but it is 100% the way of the kingdom. It is the way of our father. So let's press in like children and learn from our father. Dance a new dance like David.